What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Finance for Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Wren. Join me as we dig into what it looks like for physicians to begin using their finances as a tool to live better lives. You can learn more about our resources at financeforphysicians.co. Let's jump into today's episode. What's up, guys? Happy New Year. Hope you're having a great day. Today, we're going to be talking about something that probably affects every single one of you, at least any of you that drive a car or own or even rent a home, and that's getting home and auto insurance. We're going to be talking specifically about how to save money on home and auto insurance while maintaining adequate coverage, and also how to go about this process of purchasing and owning home and auto insurance without creating unnecessary headaches and poor experiences. It can be a tricky balance, and I've brought in my buddy today to help us talk through this. My guest today is an independent home and auto insurance agent for Energy Insurance Company. He currently lives in Louisville, Kentucky. However, he's able to work with customers all over the country. He's been at this for about 10 years now and has also worked with a number of our clients in the planning firm. So I've been able to see firsthand the quality of his work. We've worked with many insurance agents over the years. And what's unique about my guest today is that he's very intentional about helping take more off of his customer's plate to make life easier for them instead of harder and to reduce the stress of having to deal with insurance, all while maintaining adequate coverage at a fair price. My guest today is Andrew Wethall. Welcome, Andrew. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me on, Daniel. Definitely. So we were going to talk about insurance today, and I kind of wanted to keep it high level and talk big picture about some of the, the big things you should really be thinking about as you own and start to add insurance in your lives. So our audience is young physicians mainly, and and many of the clients we work with in our planning firm is in that demographic. And I know you work with quite a few. Uh, your wife is a, a physician. And so maybe we could get into some of the most common errors that you see uh, as physicians are starting to you know, purchase home and auto and those sorts of insurances. Yeah. So I'd say most common error I see is people usually get, you know, off their parents' insurance in your audience's place. They usually get it, you know, when they're going into their residency, you know, and when you're in residency, everything's very price driven because you're not making the physician bucks yet. You know, you're still working a lot of hours and you're a lot of times moving to a new city and you're more inclined to just go with a 1-800 number. I'm just going to go with the cheapest thing. And what I see with a lot of physicians is they get in with a company when they're in residency and then they never readdress their insurance, never take a look at it because, you know, like you said, my wife's a physician, she's finishing up her pediatric residency and they have no time. Their time is very valuable. So they just know that their insurance is, you know, what they think cheap and good and, but they've never used it and then they never readdress it. So then when they start making that attending money, uh, making the big bucks, you know, their insurance needs change quite a bit, but they're still on this bare bones policy that they paid minimum premium for. Mm-hmm. What's the cheapest option really look like for, you know, I guess it depends on the state, right? But Yeah. So I guess let me like dive into like what we're covering with an auto policy. And so I'm going to use the state of Kentucky as an example, but um, every state is at this level or, a you know, a slight variance of this. So on auto policy, there's physical damage coverage. So if you're, a vehicle, if you're in an accident um, to fix your vehicle, uh, comprehensive in collision coverage. And then the, the other thing that I think gets looked over quite a bit is the liability limits. So in Kentucky, the state minimum requirements, so you're required to have insurance, the minimum limits you have to have are uh, 25,000 for bodily injury per person, 50,000 per accident, and then 25,000 for property damage. 
Mm-hmm. So what does that actually mean? Like, how does that translate to a real world scenario? Yeah. So I'll give example. Let's give example with me and you. So um, Daniel's a great financial advisor, uh, hypothetically, maybe not the best driver. <laughs> Come on. Um, let's say he runs into me, rear ends me, and I have to go to the hospital. So if you have the state minimum liability limits, that's only $25,000 for my medical payments. Anything that might you know come up from that accident. So I cause an accident, I'm covering. So if I'm at fault of an accident, I'm covering the injuries or I guess medical bills of the people in the car that were injured because of the accident I caused. That falls under the liability limits. Yep, liability limits. So $25,000 per person, $50,000 per accident. So everyone in the vehicle um, and then $25,000 for property damage. Like, you know, if you hit a brand new Mercedes, you know, and you total it, that is not going to be enough to cover, you know, the repairs, uh, especially nowadays with every bumper has every sensor, you know, self-driving, you know, lane sensor. So, you know, if you are in a fender bender, it's a lot more than you think it's going to be. So those are the the, the basic coverages. Um, and the thing people don't think about is, so, okay, you have $25,000 in coverage. Well, what happens if it's more than that? And the answer is you have to pay out of pocket. So, if you have the state minimum liability limits, you're in an accident and you cause $50,000 in medical bills uh, for the person in the other vehicle or damage to that vehicle, well, you're going to have to pay $25,000 out of pocket in order to make that person whole again if you're at fault in that accident. Yeah, so that's a big uh, pitfall with the uh, that no one really talks about. And where I see a lot of physicians when they're in residency, they get that bare bones policy because they're finding a new city to live in, um, call a 1-800 number, get into that bare bones policy, which might be fine, you know, starting out, I would never recommend having those, that low of limits. But then when you start making attending money and you have a house, then you're I always say your, your liability limit should cover your assets in order to protect yourself. So I always say you should always reevaluate your insurance every three years. So, mm-hmm. so, we, so we got the uh, kind of underinsured in training, transitioning into practice, not reassessing and kind of being dramatically under, underinsured. What else? What other sorts of mistakes do you see? That's the, the main one I see in just not paying enough attention uh, to their policy. And the main thing is um, I always suggest going with an agent. That's another pitfall I see is a lot of times they just go on that 1-800 number, they get a plan and then stick with it. Because if they are doing an online kind of like Google insurance option, Geico, they don't really have an agent. So it's kind of on them to pay attention to their policy. Correct. Yeah. And you really need to look at like, so how, how, and I have clients ask me a lot, you know, how are you making money off this, the agent? And so what it, what happens is like when you sign on with a new insurance company, uh, with an agent, you know, they get a commission, you know, for signing on the new business, but they, they also get a commission every time you renew your policy. So they, you know, it behooves them to keep a relationship with you, make sure you understand your policy and keep renewing it every year. If you're just calling into a 1-800 number, you don't have that relationship and someone to grow with. Yeah. So, so I would, I would suggest, you know, getting with someone um, that you're comfortable with and then we'll go over your needs. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, when you're, you had mentioned in training, I guess if, so what is an adequate, um, I think the state minimums, like you were talking about are potentially inadequate. I mean, 
having just $25,000 of property damage coverage, that doesn't cover most new cars driving around. But as a resident, do you just say, well, I don't have assets, so we'll take the risk or, you know, what's, what is the risk? Like, what if you have no money to pay out of pocket? <laughs> Who cares? Yeah. Or, or do you have that yeah. mentality or do you say, no, I need to be responsible for the losses above that. So I need to get a bigger, bigger policy limit in training. Yeah. So, so the, the lowest liability limit that I'll sell on an auto policy uh, is a hundred thousand per person, 300,000 per accident for bodily injury, you know, that's medical payments and then a hundred thousand for uh, property damage. So that's the, the, the lowest I would recommend anyone gets. And, and I've had people ask, I don't want that. I just want the state minimum bare bones. And I'll tell them like, I'm not the you know agent for you, you know, cause I've seen, you know, probably once a month, because when we're bringing on new clients, we have to look at their claims history. We see a claim that's over that $25,000 limit. I would say once a month, I see that. Um, so like I, it, you know, we see quite a bit of claims that are, you know, above that $25,000 threshold. So, so yeah, so a hundred thousand is the lowest I would recommend going for right. anyone. Yeah. Gotcha. So, so your property damage on your auto insurance covers cars damage, your liability protection covers kind of the injuries or those sorts of costs, you know, that number, I think the liability number is the one that can get really high, right? Like, because cars, property damage to me, I don't know, this is how I'm thinking of it is property damage is a little easier to quantify or think about. Like there's, I know what that car I'm looking at right now is probably worth. Maybe I hit some something else like a house or something. I don't know. I guess you could do that and that would get high, but I I can't see the property damage stuff getting ridiculous, but liability can get nutty, right? I mean, that's the really scary number potentially, right? Yeah. And that's why I keep bringing up the liability. Yeah. It is a harder number to kind of quantify and wrap your head around. Yeah. So, I mean, I had a client about a year ago that like hit someone in a cross in a crosswalk, just wasn't paying attention complete accident and the person had, you know, serious injuries and it claimed being well over a million dollars, you know, and luckily they had an umbrella policy so they didn't have to pay anything out of pocket. But yeah, it's, you know, like, like you said, my wife is a uh, physician often working the night shift, you know, 28 hour call shifts. You know, I worry about her driving home after a long shift, you know, just trying to get home might hit a, you know, accidentally, you know, hit a biker, hit a, you know, driving through, Uh, neighborhood. So that's kind of what that covers the liability. Yeah, that's the big kind of scary uh, risk there is that and I think people get it backwards. Sometimes they cover the little stuff like the I have a fender bender, and it's $1,000, which is more common, but like it's not going to crush you financially. But then they don't ever think about the $2 million claim, that's going to ruin you forever financially. Yeah. And you think of the things that you do in order to protect yourself from other financial ruins. So like life insurance, you know, you have to have it, you know, if something happens to the breadwinner, what happens to the family, you know, disability insurance, people always say, you know, with surgeons and insuring their hands, they're very quick to, you know, get those insurances. And then the liability insurance on the personal auto and home is just as important. Because if you're at fault in an accident, that can mean financial ruin. So you want to make sure you're uh, protecting yourself. Yeah. So I guess that's kind of where 
umbrellas come in. I'm sure you guys listening and have heard of the umbrella insurance term terminology, but just to kind of clarify what that is, maybe Andrew, can you give us a breakdown of like what it does or what, what the umbrella insurance kind of concept is? Yeah. So an umbrella policy starts at a million dollars and that is additional liability coverage. So as I mentioned earlier, I always say your liability limit should cover your assets. So it, let's say you have, you know, uh, half a million dollars, you know, in assets. Well, the auto policy is only going to provide a hundred thousand for liability coverage. The home policy only provides half a million dollars in coverage. So what you can do is in order to make up that difference is purchase an umbrella policy, which goes over those limits. So as opposed to having just a hundred thousand dollars of liability coverage with buying the umbrella, you now have $1.1 million in liability coverage. So that's how you get that additional amount in order to make sure you're covering your assets. So it's like a backup pool of liability protection. In Correct. The yeah. When it goes yeah, above it, the limit. It generally doesn't cover anything uh, it, like, any additional coverages it's just an extra pot you can dip into if you need to yep gotcha so that helps in that kind of worst case scenario we're talking about and i think another misconception i see is that people overestimate the cost of that kind of stuff like that's the good news or not not the good news i guess it's well that that that's the uh, efficiency of that's where insurance becomes ultra efficient is on those high dollar very unlikely situations that's where insurance works great because they can price it really low and still make it a profitable business as an insurance company. So liability risk is a classic example of ultra efficient for insurance purposes, because the likelihood of it happening is ultra low for the average person, like the big, big time dollar claim. I mean, it is a possibility. You don't know for sure what your risk is, but there is a low chance, low enough so that the cost is very, very low. I think a lot of people I talk to don't realize how inexpensive it really is. Can you give us an idea of kind of costs? And Yeah, it's, yeah, it's priced accordingly, you know, so the, the odds, you know, the chances that you actually need it are very low. And that's why if you were to get generally, if you're like, you know, a family of two, two cars in a home, you're probably for a million dollar umbrella policy, you're probably looking in the two, $250 range to get that a million dollars of blanket coverage a year, yeah. a year. Yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's, I, I would consider that fairly inexpensive. Now, in training, I mean, I think that's going to be a stretch, and I'm not sure that it's necessary for everyone in training. Now, some situations maybe so, but um, no. In practice, I think that's a very serious consideration people should be thinking about. Is yeah, and and that's why I brought up earlier. You know, you're what, you asked what are the one of the pitfalls that young physicians fall into with auto insurance and it's getting into that bare bones policy, you know? So for me, bare bones would be a hundred thousand per person, 300 per accident. And then once you get into attending money, your assets are over that a hundred thousand dollar threshold. So you definitely need an umbrella policy. Yeah. And that's why I always say, make sure you're, you know, reevaluating your insurance every three years. Otherwise just put it to bed, pay your premium, but every three years, get it out, look at it, have your needs changed, has your income gone way up? Kind of readdress it. Yeah, I think everybody listening at minimum should, if you haven't ever done this, go pull out your most recent summary of coverage and look at what the numbers are and see what the dollar amount is and kind of really just take a, a second to think about it and 
if it's low like that, you got, you really got to think about, you know, increasing that or reassessing that. And, you know, you don't want to be driving around with a $25,000 property damage limit. I don't think that's a good idea. Yeah. And, and it's not as expensive as people think to increase it. But the repercussions of if you're in an accident and you don't have adequate coverage can be, you know, financial ruin. So. Right, right, right. Yeah. So we're we're in a no fault state, right, Andrew? Yeah, Kentucky. Uh-huh. We're we're both in Kentucky. What is a no fault state? How does that work? Are all what, what what's what if you're a no fault state? What's the opposite of a no fault state? Yeah. So the the it's a very misleading term that yeah. is out there. So people think that you're in an accident. Well, no one's at fault because we're at a no fault state, right. which is not the case. So all that means is um, whenever you're in an accident, it doesn't matter if you hit a tree or you hit someone else, your auto policy pays out. It's required to pay out the first $10,000 uh, for medical payments or personal injury, regardless of who's at fault. So that's what it that's what it means by we're a no-fault state. Other states do not have that coverage. They have uh, medical payments, uh, which are not as easy to tap into. So yeah, that's the, yeah, it's a very misleading term. Okay. Yeah. So it's not like, it seems like the cons- common conception is like nobody's at fault or. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I just want yeah. to get that off the yeah. table. <laughs> <laughs> well, so like if the one thing we didn't hit on yet is what about if, so in Kentucky, at, at least my understanding is there's a, quite a few people in Kentucky that are um, not insured at all or underinsured or whatever. So let's say I get in, um, let's say I'm the one that gets rear-ended and I'm hurt. I have pretty high medical bills and the person that hits me is um, not insured at all. What happens? Who pays for it? Am I off? Am I, am I on, you know, potentially on hook or what? Yeah. So on every auto policy, in addition to the liability coverage, there's also uninsured and underinsured motorist coverage, which should be the same limit that you have for your liability limits. And what that does is if you're in an accident with someone that does not have insurance and they are at fault, their policy would pay out like yours would. And then, uh, you know, it doesn't really count against you. And then they would uh, recoup the cost by going after that person. Yeah. But it, you know, keeps you from, you know, if you're injured, have all these medical bills, lost wages, it helps make you whole again. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So what about car rentals? I know that's, if if you've ever rented a car, you know what it's like uh, when at the car rental desk, usually they're, they're really pushing some car insurance. So like, should you buy, (laughs) what does that even provide? Why would you buy car insurance at a car rental place? Does your current home or your current auto insurance potentially cover that some or? Yeah. So I would say, I would say do not buy the rental insurance that they're trying to sell you. As long as you have full coverage on your policy, meaning comprehensive and collision coverage. On your primary home or primary auto. On your primary auto. Yeah. So any vehicle you drive, whether it's a rental or you borrow a friend's car, your auto policy follows you wherever you drive. So if you wreck a rental vehicle, your policy is going to pay out as if it's yours in order to fix it you know, minus the deductible. Yep. They don't tell you that at the rental car desk. Yeah. But you want to make sure you have full coverage, comprehensive and collision. If you don't, if you just have liability coverage, then you do want to buy. You definitely want to buy that because you Mm -hmm. have to pay out of pocket for any fiscal damage. Yeah. Yep. Or add full coverage to your policy. Yeah. Either or. Yeah. Where they get you and where they really try to sell you on is um, that you are technically on the hook for loss of income. So income that they could not collect because the vehicle you wrecked, the rental car you wrecked was being repaired. 
And, but I've never seen or never heard of them actually collecting on that. Hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. What about like cars? I don't think a lot of people think about this when they're looking at cars. Uh, is there a pretty wide range in pricing on different cars? Like red sports car, I think it's the classic one people think of versus like, you know, minivan <laughs> or Toyota Corolla or whatever. Is there a pretty big, big spread or is it does not matter as much as you might think? Does not matter as much as you might think. The The main thing is like, what's the value of the vehicle? Like what it costs to repair it. Uh, whether that's a, you know, sports car or a, you know, high-end luxury car. Um, if it costs the same, it's going to be insured about the same. Yeah. Gotcha. And nowadays, I guess they incorporate all kinds of stuff to pricing, like credit scores and. Oh, yeah. Your, yeah. What risk of, I guess, your driving record? What are all the things now that they use to price it? Yeah. So when you go and you get a, a auto and home insurance quote, they do a soft credit check. So that's the first thing. Uh, it doesn't affect your credit score, but the better credit you have, the better rate you're going to get. Other factors they look at is your claims history. Some companies go back three years. Some go back five years. So if you have more claims, you know your insurance is going to be a little higher. And then another thing to keep in mind is um, they call it act of God. So like a comprehensive claim, like a hailstorm. Uh, that damages your vehicle or if a tree falls on your vehicle or roof on your home, uh, those are not going to count against you as much as uh, at fault accident. Like if you backed into a tree or something like that. And then as far as pricing with getting uh, insurance and how they come up with a rate, another big factor that people don't think about is insurance companies value how long you've been with your current carrier when they're putting a quote together. So if you're shopping your insurance every year, you're not going to get as good of a rate. I find the best price break is to shop it every three years at a minimum. Uh, five years is where you really see it because they, they want a client that's going to stay with them. So they're going to price it accordingly. So um, that's why I always recommend reevaluating every three years, taking a look at it. Just at minimum, the pricing alone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Is the pricing okay? So we talked about like coverages. So the, the thing you got to watch out for, I think is advertising or shopping and alternatives being not apples to apples. Like if you have a good, well-structured policy and are comparing it to like state minimums, it's going to be less expensive and you're not really comparing apples to apples. So that's, I think we covered a minute ago, but I guess if we are comparing apples to apples is lowest always best or is there some point? Yeah. So that's a great question. People, a lot of people don't realize this. Um, that there's a standard form for auto and home insurance coverages. So if you buy a home policy or auto policy from a state farm, from auto owners, from a you know Kentucky Farm Bureau, wherever, the policy is going to be just about the same, same coverages, same everything, except for a few small differences based on the company. So what you want to do is make sure you set what your minimum requirements are when you're going to get quotes. I want this, this, and this, and then have a discussion with your agent. Like, what do you think? And then set that minimum. I want, you know, a hundred thousand per person, 300,000 per accident. I want, you know, $400,000 in coverage on my home. And then make sure that all the quotes you're getting all have that coverage And it. You know, if one's significantly cheaper, make sure it's not, you know, leaving off a of coverage. So. Right. But as long as it's apples to apples, for yep. the most part, it's probably better to, I mean, you said you don't want to shop every single year, but. Yeah, it, it's one of those things where sometimes the, 
you know, a really good, one of the best insurance companies out there will also offer the lowest price. Lowest price doesn't always, isn't always a bad thing. You just want to make sure that all the coverages are accurate. Okay. Yeah. So we've talked a little bit more about auto insurance up to this point. I wanted to kind of hit on some home insurance and more of that, that sort of thing. I guess maybe before we get into that, what's the difference between homeowners insurance and rent renters insurance? And, and do you see a lot of people not having renters insurance that maybe should? Yeah. So it's pretty much the same policy. It's the same coverages and, and everything. The main difference is on the home is you're insuring the structure and your contents. So like contents are my stuff, like my couch and my... Your stuff. Yeah. Everything that comes in the U-Haul and goes into the rental property, that's covered under personal property. Yeah. And that's also covered on a home policy um, and covered on a renter's policy. So if I'm like a resident and I have like my couch from undergrad that's worth nothing and you know, not nothing else in my entire place, maybe I shouldn't worry about renter's insurance? Yeah. No. Renter's insurance is extremely uh, inexpensive, very cheap. I'd recommend everyone get it. It's usually about $150,000 for the year. Um, and the main thing you're also getting with that, I keep going back to liability, um, but that's the big thing. Um, I had a claim two weeks ago where I insure the rental property, the actual structure, and then the, the tenant uh, on Christmas Eve, the uh, hoverboard, one of those hoverboards caught on fire, burnt the house down. So in that scenario, the tenant is required to pay for all damages to uh, the rental property. So that's like what the, the property rent, damages, the property damages. Oh. Yeah. So if you, you know, leave a stove on, cause a fire, you know, you are required to pay um, all the damages as a result of that. So yeah, that's why, yeah, $150, a year uh, for peace of Covers mind. Covers the liability. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. So uh, home, home insurance, or like homeowners, uh, someone that owns a home that has an insurance, that's covering more uh, of like the actual building structure. And so if I think I'm, I'm curious, I, I really haven't uh, had, ha I've never worked with somebody that's actually had this experience happen, but like in the event, let's say your home is just completely, you know, destroyed or damaged, like burns to the ground, they lose everything, all your stuff, all the house, maybe even, well, let's just stick with that scenario. So how does that work actually? Like with, from an insurance company's perspective, like who covers what is it? What type of insurance covers what thing? Yeah. So, so the first thing that pays out is the more obvious ones. So coverage to repair the building. So building coverage. And then there's also, as we mentioned, personal property coverage to cover your contents. But the, you know, the thing that gets overlooked a lot is, you know, there's also, you know, you're going to need somewhere to live you know, for, a, you know, a while, while those repairs are being done. So the policy also pays for you to get uh, a like home or hotel until those repairs are done. So yeah, th those are the main coverages on the home policy. How do they know your contents? That's a great question. And I always tell people to just like, just take a picture of every room. Just, yeah, just to remember. And then another big thing to look at on your policies is to make sure you're insuring everything for replacement costs not actual cash value. And we see that a lot. Sometimes, you know, someone, a client, Hey, I got a cheaper quote somewhere and they'll send me the quote and I'll take a look at it and it'll be, Oh, well, this is at, you know, actual cash value, which means the, you know, the street value for that item, uh, not the replacement cost. So you want to make sure that's on there. So, yeah. Yeah. Typically want to. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So the, um, home 
rebuild process and then housing during the rebuild process. Is there is that uh, limited, like the, the the housing replacement, like place to stay? Do you get like six months at a hotel kind of a thing? Or yeah, it's it's different. It's usually a, a percentage of your coverage amount, usually around yeah yeah fifty percent, and then some are you know whatever the cost is that can vary, like whatever it costs, you know. It doesn't matter if we're working on it for three months or three years, we're going to pay however much it costs to put you up in a hotel or, you know, a rental property until it's fixed. So, so in the, in the catastrophe scenario, my home, home burns to the ground. Does that like crush me for pricing forever? Like what happens to my pricing? No, the only way that it, where it really crushes you is if, as I mentioned earlier, there's a difference between, we call them like act of God uh, claims and then like not. So um, if you have a lot of like uh, pipe bursts, or like things that are kind of in your control that cause the claims. If you have a lot of those over five years, like, you know, and when I say a lot, I mean like two or three, um, that'll kill you when it comes to your premium. Things that you can control that you still have a claim on. Like pipe bursting, what else? Like um, don't replace your 40 year old roof, is that? So like roof and like, like hail claims, like wind claims, like those don't count against you as much as things you can control. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of what are the, some of the things you can control. Yeah, it's mainly like interior water leak. So like, and like when you see it on the claims report, they'll say water, like non-weather related. That's a big like, one. That what about me. like uh, cooking, uh, frying your uh, turkey inside in a big fryer and it blows blows up? That's ignorance, most people would say. And Yeah, yeah. That, does it, how does that count? Yeah, so that would hurt. That would count against you more. Than if you had a lightning strike that hit your house that caused the exact same amount of damage. When you get your renewal premium, the lightning strike is going to be a lot lower than the fryer inside. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Insurance companies want to see that you're responsible and that you're taking, you know, precautions to prevent claims. If they see a claims history that has a lot of like, you know, oh, the, the faucet was leaking. We didn't do anything about it. And we just realized, you know, there's a ton of damage in the in the guest bedroom. Right, right, right. And then another thing I was going to bring up is there's also a lot of coverages on, especially on the home, that a lot of people think are covered that are not. And the main one being like earthquake. Earthquake, you have to specifically ask for it. It's not automatically included on all home policies. And then I always, the way I go about it is I rec- I, you know, send people the home quote and then also let them know what the additional premium would be to add earthquake. I would say about 20, only 20% of my clients go with it. And it's, you know, one of the, it's one of those hard things to kind of wrap your head around. Like, you know, like it's a lot more expensive in California than it is here. And it's always a possibility. Flood is like that too, right? Flood's another one. Flood is automatically not included on any home insurance policy. Mm-hmm. I've also seen it in Florida, I think, like sinkhole coverage, maybe. Is that one? Yeah. Yeah. Depending on what state you're in, and it's very state specific, um, uh, sinkholes are also excluded. Yeah. When you get your renewal, when you look at your deck page, when you get your renewal, there'll be a list of uh, excluded coverages. So I always suggest going through those just to make, you know, just make sure there's not anything that really pops out at you. So something might pop out with you. At it, it would be the sinkhole, like that coverage. If that's not included, you might want to look into getting that. And then also uh, cosmetic damage. So that would be like um, if you're if, you, if there's a hailstorm and your roof looks really janky, but it's still watertight, the insurance company's not going to pay to replace it 
because it's just cosmetic damage. Yeah, so that, that's another one I would make sure that you do not have on your policy. So we had talked about we've talked about property damage on the home. I think you hit on a little bit of the liability stuff, but I'm curious. So like the scenario I think of is most people have pets. So let's say you have friends over, your dog for some reason goes nuts and attacks one of the kids or something, causes a lot of injuries. That sort of scenario, who's covering the medical bills? Is it, you know? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I usually default to the auto liability because it's a little more cut and dry. Like, oh, you ran into him. He's at fault. You're injured. His pace. So on the, the home, equally as important. Um, yeah, that's a perfect example you just gave. And the most common liability claim we see is dog bites. And, you know, most dog bites we have, you know, I'll read the claim report. And it'll say like, you know, Fluffy's never bit anybody. Well, he did now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so that's the, and so every auto pol- or every home policy, in addition to the coverage for the structure also has liability coverage. And the lowest I recommend going with is uh half a million, 500,000. It's about like eight to $10 a year to increase it from the minimum of a hundred thousand. For, for, so just peace of mind, I would recommend yeah, increasing it to that. And then also like, People also ask, well, when should I have an umbrella policy? In addition to the assets, if you own anything fun at your house, you absolutely need uh, like a trampoline or a pool. Trampoline, both. Yeah, trampoline, pool. I have a fence in my yard. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, well, actually, the children know how to open the fence. Well, the thing is, even if you have like a friend over or your kids' friends over, you know, if they dive into the, you know, the five foot into the pool, break their neck you're still on the hook yeah i had we were out of town and the we get the security camera notifications and this was the one from the backyard and we look on it and like there's five kids jumping on our kids trampoline (laughs) like where did they uh it was our neighbors and we knew knew them all and it was all good but uh, the insurance term uh, yeah an attractive nuisance (laughs) yeah it is definitely it's it's fun though yeah so if you own a boat definitely want an umbrella policy anything fun and then also if you have a teen driver also want to have one yeah i hear a lot of people uh, talk about or run into water damage it seems like water you never want water in your house that's that's dicey but it seems uh, i have had more than a few people i know of have come across water damage unexpectedly and they didn't know it was happening and sometimes that ends up being an insurance claim somehow i don't quite yeah. How does that work and why should, why should that be an insurance claim? So home, uh, home insurance pays for a, um, a claim, an event. So like I had someone that called in once and they said, oh, uh, we need a new roof because we had wind damage. And I was like, oh, well, like, like when did it happen? And they're like, I don't know. Last year was just a windy year. <laughs> like that's, no. not, that's not covered. That's not going to be covered. Like you have to be able to point to a specific time and date, like, oh, the windstorm was on this date. So, you know, home policy do not cover for wear and tear. So that's where, you know, what you just brought up, like, oh, is this water we just found? Is it covered or not? That's a lot of times where that gray area kind of falls in. So if you like, you know, if you have a skylight and, you know, you notice that there's been, you know, water leaking in there for, you know, years, and causing damage in dry, you know, a lot of times that's not covered because it's uh, it's a maintenance thing. But if it happens because of one rainstorm, you get a lot of rain in and there's a lot of damage, then that is covered. So I always think of you have to be able to point to a specific date uh, in order for it to be covered. 
event. Yeah, a certain event. And that's not to say that it's absolutely never covered. Sometimes it is. Um, but generally wear and tear, not noticing something um, that generally is not covered. I was talking with a friend uh, the other day and they were talking about how they got a new roof recently and they had roofers going door to door and they happened to talk to them and they, they said, you know, we've had a lot of damage in the neighborhood and do you mind if we go take a look at your roof? So they're like, okay, whatever. They came up, went up on the roof, came back down said, oh, we found that you have wind damage and we think you need a new roof. And she said, uh, okay, okay. Uh, what, and they're like, well, we can deal, take care of it completely. All you got to do is just say you can do it. And she said, fine, if you can replace my roof, we're great. And according to them, they said it played out to where they had to do nothing and it was replaced completely. It sounds too good to be true to, to me. Yeah. Like, what's up with that? Yeah, so in that scenario, I would say um, file a claim and have a claims adjuster. So whenever you file a claim for, like, let's say, you know, in that example, a hail or wind claim, you know, call your insurance company, file a claim. They'll send a claims adjuster out to the property to look at it, and they'll determine, you know, if there's damage or if there's not. Um, and then if they say, yeah, there is damage, you know, then call that contractor, call that roofer back and say, you know, rock and roll, you guys are good. So should you talk to a roofer first? Because like, I have no idea how to determine if I have damage on my roof, you know? Yeah, you can talk to a roofer first. I would just also make sure that your insurance company comes out to look at it. They have to, don't they? Do they eventually? To determine if they're going to. And sometimes, and you know, this is another valuable, you know, this is another reason I think everyone should have an agent is a lot of times I'll have, you know, clients, they'll call me and say, hey, this claim was denied. You know, I filed it, they didn't. And I was like, all right, well, let's look into this. So in that scenario, let's say, you know, the roofer says, oh, there's damage. The insurance company comes out and says, oh, no, there's not damage. We're not going to pay this claim. So what you can do, and this is in every home insurance policy, you can get another opinion. So if you can get another roofer or two to come out and look at it and say, yes, you know, there is damage to this, um, and then send that to the insurance company, then they will pay the claim a lot of times. So even though they say no right at first, you know, you can always push back and get a second opinion and get that covered. I see that a lot. And I think that's the benefit of having an agent is you have someone to work with in your corner to kind of get that paid. Is the agent have, uh, I guess the incentive is to keep the customer happy, even though you get dinged if you have claims, right? Yeah. Well, so when you, when you file a claim, you know, if there's zero paid out, if you just consult with a claims adjuster, have someone come out and look at it, it doesn't, you know, count against you. It only counts against you if it's paid out. And then uh, as far as the, the agent goes, as, as I mentioned earlier, you know, if you call a 1-800 number, you know, they just want to write the business and be done with it. If you have an agent, they get paid every time you renew your policy. So they want to make sure you're happy and make sure you're taken care of. So, yeah. Another thing I've noticed about, well, pricing is, seems to be a little bit different for homes. And I have noticed some strange pricing with home insurance. For example, we've had clients get, um, you know, especially the people that are um, kind of doing it there themselves. They're talking to like USAA, Geico, Progressive, an independent insurance agent, a state farm agent, like the really aggressive do-it-yourselfers looking at like a, 10 different companies and I've noticed in those situations, sometimes the spread is like huge and they're not, they're not far off apples to apples. Like some companies sometimes are just insanely way more expensive. I saw it recently with USA because USA is like, it kind of has good financials and they, you know, seem to be a, 
well-regarded uh, insurance company, but they were just like triple or quadruple everybody else. And I was like, what is up with that? Do you know? Yeah. So it's, it's, so the way it works is, you know, they call it buying some of the market. So like Erie insurance came into Kentucky, you know, not a couple of years ago, maybe five years ago and had, you know, they wanted a lot of business. So they priced it accordingly and then were very cheap. And then, you know, that lasted maybe a year or two and then the rates went up, you know, and they had a lot of claims, you know, weren't as profitable on that business. So then they, you know, increased their premiums. And it's like that with every insurance company, like, you know, for like a year or two, a company will be, you know, really hot, can't beat them, you know, best premium out there. And then they'll be ice cold, very expensive, you know. Um, so that, that that's again why I say look at it every three years, you know, just see what the market's doing, get quotes. And, you know, and also that's why I like being independent is because when I was a captive agent, just writing for one company, if someone's rate went up, I was like, well, you know, we had a lot of claims last year. Sorry. But with an independent agent, you know, uh, as an independent agent, if someone's not happy about their rate going up, you know, I can shop around with another company that might be hot trying to buy some business in the, in the, in the market. So. Yeah. So, so we talked about home, we talked about auto. I kind of wanted to, to wrap up with some, some bigger picture sort of discussion around kind of managing this. And I think, Working with an agent versus doing it yourself or working with like, like the person I was ex- uh, using the example of, had, you talked to, you know, three different agents. One was captive, one was independent. Uh, they did, they went the, uh, you know, consumer direct route. And maybe a good starting point is what, what are your channels you can go to to get insurance and how do each of them differ? Yeah. So the first one is like, you know, your Geico, your direct, you know, your 1 800 numbers. Um, where you just call, they want to sell you a policy right then. That's the, you know, direct, you know, online market. I would not recommend that. Um, just because I think an agent is important. I am very biased. I think the independent uh, agent is the best way to go uh, just because they have, you know, multiple companies they can work with. Uh, but there are um, a lot of good State Farm agents. State Farm's the biggest, you know, auto insurer in the country in a very good company. So it's not to say that, you know, they're bad. Um, I think the most important thing is that you're working with someone that's not just trying to just sell you something real quick. They're saying, Hey, let's look at your situation and put together something that's best for you. So that way, you know, if you're in residency, that's going to look different four years from when you're out of residency. Um, so that way you can, t- you know, grow with the same agent and they're not just, you know, selling you something and then just kind of punting you. Yeah, I think, uh, and so if you're shopping, looking around, uh, I think I've seen people talk to multiple independent agents. I'm not sure that's, that seems like kind of overkill because maybe it's better to look at what the independent agent, ideally you work with an independent agent that has a very big market where they can use multiple companies. And if, if that's the case, talking to three different independent agents is, is not really going to differ or is it? It's not really going to differ. Uh, you know, they might have two or three companies that one has, the other doesn't. But the I think the most important thing is to make sure that you're comfortable with that agent. And if you start working with them, they're slow to get back with you. They're never answering your calls. Someone else is always calling you back. Then maybe try another independent agent is what I recommend. Uh, but yeah, it can be a little redundant to get quotes from. I would just pick, you know, one, maybe two independent agents get quotes from. Yeah. I think we here are in our planning firm with clients. uh, They kind of get annoyed by, it seems like transaction points 
is where they have to deal with this kind of thing. And they're like, oh, I bought a car or I, you know, selling and buying a house. And um, it seems like when they're working with, um, you know, consumer direct options, that's annoying. Or if they work with bad, like not bad agents, but very poor servicing agents, yeah. that, that becomes, it seems like it almost makes it harder on them. When they're working with that kind of people, they're like, it's annoying. I don't want to have to call them. They're going to put it on me to get all this stuff done. And it's going to be painful. And they're they're not looking forward to it. Versus like our clients that work with you, they're like, it was easy. Some He made it easy. How, you know, how are you making it easy? And what does that look like? And why is it important? Yeah, well, I view like when I bring on a client, I'm like, I want this to be a long-term relationship. And I expect, you know, you know, if a client goes with me, they can expect quick service, quick turnaround and just like being easy to get in contact with. So I give all my clients my cell phone number. You know, if they buy a new vehicle, just send me a text with the new VIN number, just making it as easy as possible for them. That's so that's very easy. Yeah. And and a lot of agents make you, yeah, like, well, email, you know, Becky, she's our account manager. Then you got to, you know, email Becky. And then, so I find just the, the quickest you can get it done, the ease of doing business, transferring of information, um, the better. So, um, yeah. So like I said, I give all my uh, clients my cell phone, you know, call me, email me anytime and just get and take care of. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's, um, and I think uh, our, cl- our clients and uh, the people we both mutually tend to work with are typically like super busy people. So it's kind of uh, something, you know, you don't want to have to, ideally you're saving time instead of losing time by working with somebody. So I think when you're working with a good agent, you should be having a more efficient time saving, time savings, less stressful, you know, experience versus the alternative. Yeah, exactly. Well, if, if people want to reach out to you or have questions or that sort of thing, what's the best way to find you or reach out to you? Yeah, I would say my phone number is 859-797-4384. Give me a call. And then my email is awethal, so A-W-E-T-H-A-L-L at gmail.com. And that is a cell phone, folks, right? That's my cell phone, yeah. <laughs> I'll give you my work email, but it's a very annoying email handle. So. Oh, okay, hard to say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, well, thanks for chatting with me, Andrew. It's always good. Awesome, to- thanks for having me on, and thanks for putting this all together. Yeah, man, yeah, man, good talking. We'll talk to you soon. As always, thank you so much for joining us today. If you found this valuable, please give us a review on iTunes and share with a friend. Also, check out our website at financeforphysicians.co for all sorts of additional content. See you next time. Finance for Physicians is not an investment, tax, legal, or financial advisor. All content included in this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered financial tax or legal advice. Material presented is believed to be from reliable sources and no representations are made by Finance for Physicians as to another party's informational accuracy or completeness. All information or ideas provided should be discussed in detail with an advisor, accountant, or legal counsel prior to implementation. If you don't have an advisor or would like a second opinion, feel free to check out our website for recommended advisors.